from Jerusalem. This is General Ike, building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Rav Elisha Anchalavit. Rav Elisha is a rabbi, teacher, and researcher on Jewish law and Jewish history. He teaches Judaism as a phrenesis, or practical wisdom tradition, at the Pardes Institute and Yeshivat Malek Vuboa. Rav Elisha is a fellow at Emory University's Center for Law and Religion. Rav Elisha, hi. Hi, how are you doing? Baruch Hashem, fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. My pleasure. So let's start with this idea, this word phrenesis. What does that mean exactly? Phrenesis is practical wisdom. And practical wisdom, let, let me clarify something. I'm borrowing a term from Aristotle, not because I prefer using secular or philosophical terms, but because I'm also speaking to Western people, and then I want to speak in Western language. So I'm going to continue from that point. But phrenesis is what we call hasechel haskel, which is already a term used in Baichini sources. And what it means is practical wisdom in contrast to logical wisdom or logical knowledge. Um, for the most part, people tend to think you can, the things you can prove are the things that are true or correct. And phrenesis, to borrow from Aristotle a moment, just to move this into the Western world a second, Phoenesis is that which the elders know, even though they can't explain why they know it. They can illustrate it, they can point it out, but they can't prove it. Right. And so that, this, is an idea, this is an idea brought out in Aristotle? Aristotle mentions it. Unfortunately, Aristotle was a philosopher, so he never develops it because he's busy philosophizing. But it's an idea raised by Aristotle, but it's Chazal, I think, all the time in Tanakh, which is... You learn from experience, you learn from tradition, the same way you learn how to cook a cake, bake a cake. You learn from experience. You don't really learn based on logic. Okay, so bringing this idea of phrenesis into your teaching of Judaism, how does that change the way you teach it compared to the average teacher? Okay, so I don't want to speak about the average teacher, okay. because that may be a caricature and not, okay, that's not my point. There are people who, when they read sources, uh, read for knowledge. I want to take a step back. Why, why do you often see people acting in ways where they don't even realize that they violated something that they've thought about and learned about, whether violated sinfully or even just been dumb? Right? They've, they've learned, they've read, and they didn't apply that which they've read or learned to real life. Yeah? So one reason is, they were emotionally overcome. Right? I understand that. We're all human beings or mammalians. But there's another reason. And that's often because we, we read and take knowledge as data, stick it in the brain somewhere. It's useful for cultural references. It's useful to sound intelligent. But we don't actually picture what we just read in its full human dimension and say, wow. 
yeah, I crossed the street, I looked both ways, I just read that somewhere, and internalize it so that when I come to an airfield, I'll look up because there are planes landing from above. Well, I've, that's if I've internalized it, but if I have not internalized it, I just read data, then I know when you cross the street, you look right and left, either because I want to be cultured, I know it, or because there's a culture that somehow speaks to each other about that. For example, we're French, we dress a certain way at weddings. We're kibbutznikim, we dress a very different way at weddings. But that, that's it, it's data points. So let me see if I understand so far. If someone, for instance, reads the advice in a book, uh, you should look up both ways before you cross the street. There are at least three different levels of integration of that advice. Okay. The first level is someone can say, oh, that's, uh, that's good advice. I can rattle that out at parties as a reference. Right. The second level is someone will get to a road and actually remember what the book said, look right and left, and just look right and left right. before crossing. And the third level is someone will read the advice think about what it might be trying to do, um, re recognize that what it's there to do is uh, protect you against suddenly oncoming cars, and therefore be able to adapt that advice to an airfield in the form of looking up. Right. And the way that they will be able to think about what it is meant to do is because they have experienced streets already in life. It's not that they will do it in the abstract. It's that they will bring real-life experience to bear, and then they will understand what they've so real-life experience with streets is what allows someone to move beyond the first into the second and third? Into the third, right? Into the third. Okay. Second just means I get to the street. I know there is a street and I look right and left. The third is I understand that I actually internalize that cars move quickly. And drivers move quickly. They cannot brake fast enough and so forth. And then I've internalized it. Right. So you teach, the way you teach Judaism is trying to get people to this third way of understanding. Correct. Okay. That, uh, I, that does seem quite unusual. <laughs> okay. Um, it's how I was taught at home. So, you have a piece prepared for us today. I have a piece prepared. And the way I want to illustrate what it means to learn this way is by picking the text that people find most difficult to learn or least expected, most surprising, I should say, to learn in this way. Meaning, okay. I, I, if I show how to read a Tanakh law this way, or Tanakh laws this way, or even Tanakh stories this way, biblical stories and laws, people are comfortable. If I read a legal code, they're pushed a little bit, but they can be comfortable. The one text that people that are, you know, Judaically fluent, always tell me, cannot be learned in this way, is Gemara. The Talmud. The Talmud, yes. Because the Talmud seems to be this text where you make an argument. You make one argument, you make a counter-argument, you make another dialectic argument, and it seems to be based on very narrow logic. Meaning we're looking at an issue from one perspective, from that perspective, does this make sense, does the counter-argument make sense, and we actually do not look at all of life. At least that's how people read it. So what I'd like to do today is show how to read the Talmud as actually a text for teachers to teach students. It wasn't meant to be studied, by student, it was meant to be the teacher's guidebook. There's a word in English I'm looking for. Handbook for teachers to teach students. What do they need to do with a Mishnah, which is a law, an earlier law collection? So a Mishnah is a law. How should the teacher unpack the law with the students? I think that is what Talmud is. Why do you think that? Because, as we'll see, its logic seems to be 
is shallow and flawed. The logic of the Gemara of the Mishnah? Gemara. Often, in, in, if you move in traditional circles, people will tell you, oh, you don't know how to think like the Gemara, like the Talmud. When somebody has to tell you you don't know how to think like the Talmud, then that means they're thinking in a very strange way. <laughs> Otherwise, you can usually just point out to people what they're missing. And they say, all right. But if you have to teach them to think differently, not rigorously, but differently, then they're really thinking strangely. The idea here is that if, if, Gemara, if the logic of the Gemara were uh, intelligible, it should be translatable. Yes. Okay. And there are academic scholars who actually write that the Talmud um, either doesn't intend to be rigorous, it's just an associative work, which is clearly not the case because they're making arguments back and forth, or the other way, that they are presenting arguments that sound solid in order to teach students to never trust an argument. But that is not a good explanation because you would not have several tractates of constantly repeating and presenting arguments just to teach students to ignore every argument they ever saw because they're all bad. That would be a waste of several years of education. Right, hardly an effective method of yes. teaching. So for those who want to uh, follow along at home, which piece of Gemara are we going to be learning today? Um, Bava Mitziah, Tractate Bava Mitziah, and we're going to learn the first leaf or page 2A and 2B. Fantastic. Shall we begin? Sure. What we're going to do is, we're going to read a law in the Mishnah. The Mishnah, again, is a law collection. We're going to read it. I'm going to ask you questions to have you unpack it. And after we've unpacked it, we're going to read the Talmud and see the Talmud is simply the teacher's guide to doing what we did in rabbinic language. Sounds fantastic. Okay. Would you like to read? I can give it a shot. Shnayim Oichazin Betales. Uh, two sees uh, a talus, a garment of some kind. Right, so they're, okay, they are holding it in the present. Not they seize it, they are holding it. Okay. They're... So two yeah. people are holding a garment. Mm-hmm. Yes. this one says, Ani mitzasia. Uh, I found it. And Vizeoimer, and this one says, Ani mitzasia. I found it. Okay, so... You know, no, continue on a few more words and then. Ze oimer kula sheli. This one says, all of it is mine. Vize oimer kula sheli. And this one says, all of it is mine. Okay, so people are holding, the two people are holding a garment. Each one claims they found it. Each one claims it's all theirs. And they are standing making this claim in front of whom? I assume a, a rabbinical court. Right, the court. Okay. Now, what do we do? What's the law? Uh, one, this one uh, swears that there isn't to him um, of it less than a half. And this one swears that there isn't to him in it less than a half. Okay, ain't low. He does not have in it. Okay? But anyway, each one claims that he doesn't own in it less than a... Less than a half of it. And a half. And then what do they do? Viyachaloiku. And they divide it. And they divide it. So here's the law. Two people come, present themselves in front of some court, 
and each one claims, I found this garment, it's all mine. Court says what? What's the final conclusion before we come back to the oath? The two should do what? Divide it. Divide it. So if it's something large enough to be divided, it's divided, or more simple terms, presumably, presumably one of them buys the other out from his half. But they divide it. Okay. So first I'll ask you simply, why do they divide it? Uh, well, it seems to appear to it seems to appeal to a natural sense of fairness. If there's no evidence who actually owns it, there's nothing you can do that's fairer, or more just. Than okay. How it. is that fair? To divide in half. Why is it fair? Well, the truly fair thing I assume would be to give give it to the person who actually got it first. The the case refers to a I I don't know if this is assumed or not, but there's a, there's a garment on the street and two people try to take it at the same time? Like, there's no other well, we'll get to We'll get to all that, but right now, there's a garment that two people found, right? No identifying signs and so on and so forth, right? So two people, well, a garment that was found. And one person says, I found it. And the other person says, I found it. That's and the situation. So they come before the court and each of them is holding half of it. I, I mean, the simple reason it should be divided is just there's no way of doing anything better than dividing it. For whom? The parties? The judges? I, I want to appeal to an abstract sense of justice, but let's assume that one of them actually did find it first. Okay. If you give it to, if you give him half of the garment, that's at least something. Whereas if you give him none of the garment, that's nothing. Okay, so you're saying the person who found it should at least get half the garment because they found it, right? Right. That makes sense. Right? You don't want them to lose completely. But uh, do you just encourage people to grab garments from other people that found them? You can't grab my garment because everybody knows I wear this shirt. I right. mean, I, okay, so that, you, know, you won't get away with it. But we both find a garment, or I find a garment. You can grab it for me now because, you know, last time, last week, somebody else did that. Two people came to court. Each one claimed they found it. The court gave each a half. There was no disincentive for you to cheat, cheat and grab my garment and start yelling it's yours. Then my found garment. Well, I assume the disincentive is that we exist in a culture where oaths are taken seriously and that the court requires us to take an oath before dividing it. Oaths are taken seriously. What does that mean? It means... Do we take oaths seriously today? Some of us. Some of us. Some of us don't. I don't think human nature has ever been different in any culture in the world. Fine, but even, even, with, even assuming human nature is, um, what would you say, primarily identical, you would still find... Um, differences arising from living circumstances. So we live in a, in a post-industrial, very urbanized environment. In a city of, of millions, reputation isn't really a factor in the way that it was in the sort of agricultural village living that it was back here. So I assume in, a, in, a, in that sort of environment, oaths would be more serious because they're- Okay, clear. that's true. An environment where, reputa where reputation matters more, People may be less inclined to swear falsely unless they are convinced that nobody can catch them on it. If nobody can catch them on a false oath, 
than even in a society of, how did you put it? Agricultural village dwellers. No, but you said a society where reputation matters, right? Right. People will swear falsely. Okay. In fact, we have stories, ancient Near Eastern stories through through a story from the yeah, through Chazal stories, through the, the people lying and what to do about it. Like, people are always lying, if they can get away with it. Not always, but there are always people who lie when, right, when they can get away with sure, it. Sure, but there are also a, 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 some people who won't lie even when they get Great. away with it. Great, so you're relying on the fact that there are some people who won't lie, impose an oath, you'll weed out the people who don't lie, you will not weed out the people who do lie which means the people you need to disincentivize, presumably the one most willing to be criminal, criminal, right? Criminals, are the people you will actually not weed out. Sure. I, we assume there's a strong overlap between people who are willing to swear falsely and people who are willing to uh, steal half of other people's no right, time garments. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I, I imagine, like, it's not a great solution, but it's, it does seem like it's better than nothing. Better than nothing because the person who truly found it gets half. Right? But... Worse than nothing, because you've just incentivized people to steal from other people. Okay, so I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. Maybe they both found it, like you started telling me this whole story. Okay? In this law, right, show me evidence that the two people actually found it relatively together, at least, and nobody's, nobody's consciously stealing from the other person. Well, each of them is holding half of the garment. Yeah, but well, that could be somebody started stealing it. Something about the claims. What does each one claim? Well, each one says, I found it. And what? Um, all, all of it is mine. Okay, so each one says, I found it and it is all mine. It is all mine as opposed to claiming what? That we found it at the same time. Right. At any point, do I say that you stole it from me? Or do you say that I stole it from you? Neither of them say it in the case. No, in this case, neither of them say it. In other words... This is a very simple case being presented to the student. Mishnah is a, law, is a collection of laws intended for students, initially. Presented a very simple case. You say, I found it. I say, I found it. You say, it's all mine. I say, it's all mine. Which means we know what happened here. Each one is convinced, oh, I found it. it. belongs to me, right? And so forth. Nobody's accusing the other one of being an outright thief. That being the case, now we'll go back to what you said earlier. What should you do in that case? What's the fair thing to do? If each one is convinced, I found it, I found it, it's mine, it's mine, what should you do? Divide it. Divide it, right? Each one is convinced that they grabbed it first, which means, how would you describe that scenario? Well, it seems like there's nothing, uh, there's nothing to judge between the claims of the two of them. It seems like each of them have a perfectly balanced claim against the other. Okay, and? And you said they both have a claim. That's back to the judge who doesn't know what to decide, so therefore splits it. So Is there any moral reason to split it? I mean, good reason. Like, other than I'm the judge, I can't decide, so I'll split it. Well, let's say you split it. You're, what you're doing is you're sort of um, putting into the law a, a new mechanism whereby if two people find a garment at roughly the same time, it's okay. split between them. Good. So to put it differently... So put aside law and mechanisms. Basically, what you're telling me is, if two people find something at about the same time, oh, just divide it. Right. And that's your ethical position. It seems that way, yeah. Okay. Fine. So now we know why they divide it. Now we know why we're not worried about 
about encouraging criminals. We're not dealing with a criminal situation. We're dealing with a situation where each one honestly thinks, or says, at least seems to say, that they found it and it's all theirs. Then we tell them, okay, split it. So why make them take an oath? If neither one is a thief, why do you need an oath? I don't know. Are there any situations where people are inclined to lie, not because they're bad, but because they think it really belongs to them? This object really does belong to them, but they didn't quite actually get it? Well, I don't know how much I'm supposed to be bringing in outside understandings here, but... Always. Okay. It's also bringing in real life. Otherwise, how can you understand the law? So it seems like, uh, as, as I recall, there are a couple of ways of uh, acquiring... No, no, something. now you bring outside legal concept. Okay, no, sorry. don't bring no, that. No, oh, life. Well, can I bring an outside legal concept that maps onto regular life in sure. a way that I can yes. display? Okay. So it, I think the law, there is, um, in the laws of acquisitions, you can acquire, if something's on the, on the ground and it's available to be acquired, you can acquire it by grabbing it and lifting it up, or you can acquire it by being, moving to within four cubits of it and verbally stating, I acquire that. Which reminds me a lot from my childhood when things are, when uh, a couple of children would go for the same object at the same time, one of them would try the strategy of run to it and grab it, and the other would try the strategy of calling dibs. Right. Correct. Okay? Somebody finds an object, and in a sense, they have a right to it. Right? On the other hand, if somebody finds it, especially if they find it in a field, right, somewhere, and they saw it first, and they get close enough to it, right, it's theirs. But somebody finds money in the middle of the street, in the middle of a busy avenue, then it belongs to whoever picks it up. First. Picks it up. Okay. So you could have had a scenario here where somebody saw it, but they either didn't pick it up or didn't get within four cubits of it. Okay. okay. So, you know what? I'm the person who saw it first. And I yelled and I said, pirate's treasure. And you're like, oh, really? And you run, pick up the whole chest. Now, what will I do as a decent person? What will I do? Will I lie or not lie? Well, I'm sorry, will I claim it's all mine or not claim it's all mine? I can see the temptation to claim that it's yours. Right? There's a temptation, at least, to claim it's all sure. mine. Sure. Okay? okay. Now the court comes, the court says to each one of us, swear that you actually have no, a right to no less than half. I'll get to the negative language in a moment. But swear that you actually have a right to this object. What are they forcing me to do now? They're forcing you to double down from the, on, on your claim. They're forcing you to, to sort of bet your conscience, in a sense, against right. the claim. Assuming that I'm not a bad person, that's not the situation that arose here, right? It's not there's a claim made that I stole it from somebody. And we only impose oaths on people that are, have a trustworthy reputation, actually. So I'm standing there, my conscience, my reputation, as you put it before, there's nothing about me that suggests I'm willing to risk it. Right? And now I have to actually openly really stand behind my words. At that point, if I did not pick it up first, what would I have? What would I do? Just let the, the whole thing go, probably. Right? I would say a pox on his house and everything else, but I would let it go. Right? 
uh, will say, I'll make sure that this person never receives honors in the synagogues anymore. Whatever I'll do, I'll yell, I'll curse, but I will not. Falsely swear in a court of law. Falsely swear and take the object. Right? Okay. So now we have a law that actually makes sense. Two people come to court. Each one is yelling, I found it. It's all mine, meaning I picked it up. And no, I picked it up, right? And we're like, okay. Since nobody's yelling, the other one stole it. Presumably they're actually arguing about what happened. Now, it could be an honest mistake scenario, like a scenario where they both picked up basically, basically together, as you said. Great. We know what we'll do in that case. We will. Make them each swear. No, no. But if you know they somehow, if you knew that they picked it up together, what would you do? Divide. Or almost together. You divide it. Right. Okay. But since we don't know that, because there's another option, which is... Someone, someone clearly got to it first, but the other person maybe saw it first from a distance. Right. Right? They're kind of making a moral claim, and therefore we have to pause, ask them, do you really mean that? I'm like, yes or no, I don't. Simple law? <laughs> no, like, right? It, it, I mean, the, it, comes out, it comes out simply, but you've, you've shown how there's a, lot of, there's a lot of consideration behind it. Oh, yeah. Yes. But simple in the sense, if you live in real life, this is actually a, yes, there are multiple considerations, but it's simple in the sense it's not, it doesn't require sophisticated conceptual thinking. Sure. It's a law, common sense, yes. And you teach the students to start thinking about different angles, which is what you want to teach somebody who might become a future judge or something. Okay. okay. Great. Now let's read the Talmud, which seems to go off in some other, into some other discussion. We'll see it does not. Okay. So, Lamali Lam. Why do we have two statements? Each one says, I found it. No, I found it. It's all mine. It's all mine. Let me just say one statement. I found it, it's all mine. And you say, I found it, and it's all mine. Or it seems to be, the Talmud seems to be asking a pretty silly question. Hey, why do we break it up into a dialogue of two statements? Why not just have each person say, I found that it's all mine. I found that it's all mine. Okay. So, to a silly question, the Talmud seems to give a very simple answer, which is, okay, Chada Katani. Chada Katani? Yes, it's really only one clause. Right? Katani, have, teach it as one clause. It asks why there are two clauses. Okay, so teach it as one clause. Wow, okay, so it, the, the, first, the first Gemara, the first commentary on that law seems to, opens with a, a question as to why, the, why it's broken up right. into, into separate statements and instead of just being one statement. And then seemingly the, what would you say, the, the, Tal- the Talmudic narrator? The this no- normally called, this, because the Talmudic narrators are, non- are not known by name, they're called anonymous, or to use Aramaic, they're called the stama. The stama. Right. So the the opening the opening um, query in the in the Talmudic pulling apart of this law is why is it why are these a separate statements? And the response from the stama is okay, just he just follows straight right. away. So the question wasn't great, and the answer was like okay, <laughs> like okay, fine. So let's continue. So far, I'm not impressed yet by this text. <laughs> okay. Uh, where are we? Yes. Why don't we actually just teach that the person says, I found it? And the other person says, I found it. 
the person also meant it's all mine. If you come into court and I say, I found this garment, and you say, I found this garment, mm. then obviously what we're each claiming is, it is all mine. Because I say, I found it, and you say, you found it. Right. Okay, so why do we need the extra words, I found it, and it's all mine? So the second thing the, the Gemara asks, um, and this, this all takes the, takes the form in the sense of a dialogue without actually attributing, um, like, not, none of the, none of the, neither the questions nor the answers so far being attributed to anyone. Right. But there is a set, there is a dialogue going on here. Correct. So the, the opening question is, why are there two statements? Right. And the answer is, okay, make them one statement. Right. And then the next question is, well, why do we have the second statement at all? Because it doesn't seem to add anything. Right. And the response to that is? The response to now is, Tana, where is her? Um, if it was just teach that each person says I found it Havamina I would think what is it when each person says I found it what they meant is I saw it right so this, right? this comes back to that that case of seeing it from a distance in right. calling dips right even though it never reached his hands he acquired by seeing. We think that's the claim. Each party is making the claim. I saw it first and therefore I own it. Tana kula shali therefore teaches that each one also says it's all mine to teach that one does not acquire by seeing. So somehow these extra words, it's all mine, is supposed to teach you a different law which is that you do not, you do not acquire by seeing. You only acquire by picking it up. Do we have this law already from other places, or is this, in fact, the place where we learn this law? The question doesn't come up anywhere else. I mean, it, it comes up. It comes up in a sense that when you, if you acquired something, you said picking it up is a way of acquiring. That's a discussion all over about acquis in acquisitions. Um, it comes up in the question of if you're within four cubits of an object. But this is not a tenetic source. If you're asking, is this the source? No. Okay. It's implicit in and the other rulings, laws. But here it is discussing is if this Mishnah will now teach you that you do not acquire except by picking it up. Okay, so the, so the answer then is that this, that the reason that you have the extra, the extra statement is to, to teach us that merely seeing it first doesn't actually right. get you the garment. Right. Now, the way this is often learned is, again, the question is not that great a question. And the answer seems to be a forced answer of, well, here are some extra words. We'll just teach some law from those extra words. Right. It does, it does seem a bit haphazard. Okay. Right? Sure. Okay. Uh, in a moment, we will change all this, but we're not done yet with this section. <sighs> Could you really say that what is finding, it's seeing. There is some verse that, that says, Pasuk, that says, when you find an object. And Rav Nai taught about that, that that refers to it coming to your hand. implies when it reaches your hands. So the word matzah, finding, we already know from somewhere else that that implies actually going and picking it up. Right. There's only one little problem. 
Okay. Whether this is Rav Nai or or the printed printed version is doesn't have the correct name. Okay. Um, it's definitely a statement by a rabbi who lived after the Mishnah. So it would be a historical for them to say for them to say that this um, statement by him explains the right. Mishnah back then. Right. Why would the Mishnah have to teach that? Rav Nai already taught us. Rav Nai wasn't alive yet. Okay. okay. That's a historical. Yes. Okay. So that sounds like a bad question. And then, but the Talmud continues in yes, When the verses speak about finding something, they mean it reached his hands. The Tana was referring to the language of the people, the common language. And when a person sees something, he says, "I found it." The even though it did not reach his hands, he feels that he's acquired it simply by seeing it. Meaning, we all know Rav Nai, for the moment, without getting into that historical problem, we all know Rav Nai's ruling, but that's only true biblically. But in common language, even though we all know Rav Nai's ruling, in common language, we think we acquire something by seeing. So that seems to, it seems to be that we need to make it explicit here because in common use, the word matzah can mean find just by seeing? Yes, even though all these Jews who base themselves on biblical verses actually know Rav Nai's teaching that you only acquire something when you pick it up. But somehow they say that's biblical, but in common language, you acquire something when you see it. I'm not quite sure how that dichotomy exists. If it's a culture of people basing themselves on Bible, at least authoritatively, right? They at least, you know, I'm not saying everybody lives up to it, okay? But at every moment, but they base themselves on it. And you tell me they all know Rav Nai's teaching, but they say that's biblical, that's not how we talk. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, it could be, I, I imagine that it's just that they have words that mean certain things in common parlance and words that mean something in, within the legal parlance. But so now I need a Mishnah it. to teach me that when the two people come into court and they say, I found it, I found it, I shouldn't give it to them based on seeing? Of course I know I should not give it to them based on seeing. We have Rav Nai's teaching. But you just said that Rav, Nai, Rav Nai's teaching hasn't shown up yet. No, 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 no. Now you're going back. That was a critique we raised. But now I'm continuing the Talmud. If you read the Talmud the way it's read often... We are of nice teaching. We're saying we accept it. The only thing is, that's biblical law, but we might, but people sometimes think otherwise. Great, they're coming into court. I need the phrase kula shali, it's all mine, to, to teach me a law that they have to actually pick it up. I know they have to pick it up because that's Rav Nai's teaching. Okay. Just because people say commonly that you acquire something when you see it, doesn't mean you need to now t- add those words in the Mishnah to teach me that I have a that, that the two, either of the litigants only acquires when they pick it up. I know that. Rav Nai already told me that. Wait, is the issue that people, that people have a different use of the word matzah, find? Or is, like, as in they're just using it in the common tongue to mean, oh, I, I saw something for the first time? Or does, is it that they actually have a different understanding of the law itself? And they well, feel like you they don't have a different understanding of the law because the people say biblical law actually recognizes acquisition only when you pick it up. 
That's okay. what we just said, right? So that then, everybody knows that that's the biblical law. But So then maybe what's happening is the people are coming to court and they're saying, I, each is saying, I found this, I found this. And they're using found in the common sense of... That's great. First. I'm going to come back to that. Good. But when you read the Gemara right now, the Talmud is answering the question of why did the Mishnah have to add those words? Okay. I'm the student of the Mishnah. I'm not the one standing in court now listening to people. The Mishnah doesn't need to add those words to teach me a law. In a moment, I'll say I'll come back to what you said. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? If I could just press this for a second, mm -hmm. doesn't it seem like that? Like that might be um, doesn't teach the law. I see. You assume the litigants come in already, sort of knowing the law. But it's like you said before, in the case of someone. No, they don't know the law. The litigants come the litigants in speaking and saying, "I found it. I found it." And, they, and maybe they think they saw it. But I, as a judge, know of course that the only claim that matters is whether they actually acquired it properly. Right. So, so you don't need to tell to give me extra words in a mission to teach me that. I know that already from the laws of acquisition. Is is it or is, is it possible that the way that the um, the claims the bit where the mission says this one claims all of it is mine and this one claims all of it is mine that stands in for a process where the judge explains the law to the litigants. It's like, now, you both know that the only way to acquire a garment is through picking it up or through okay. saying it. So, him. good. Similar to that, what I want to do now is go back and read this differently. Okay? Do, is there anything else that you want to pursue on this main line? No. No, okay. we're, we're good. This is enough to at least begin illustrating, and we may then, if we can, we may do one more line. But... Let's go back. We have a mission of teaching. You're teaching a student who hopes to be a future judge, possibly, and you teach them that if two people come into court, back to the Mishnah, okay? two people come into court, each one says, I found it, I found it, it's all mine, it's all mine, what do you do? Make them take an oath, and they split it. Okay? Now, I'm the student. My first question is, why, why are you describing this whole crazy court scene? I know courts are crazy. Okay, but I don't need to hear about this. You know, this one comes and says, I found it. This one says, I found it. It's all mine. It's all mine, right? And what do you tell the student? You tell him, yeah, good point. In real life, this is all just one bit of dialogue. Meaning in real life, even though people don't speak in one line, but really it's all one point. When people come in and each one starts yelling, I found it, I found it, it's all mine, it's all mine. Take their claims, put them together, and it's one line. I found it, it's all mine. I found it, and it's all mine. The student is saying, why do I need all this? And the, and the teacher is saying, you need all this because that's how people walk into court. But you're right, it's basically one claim. Because what we're trying to do is teach a student about real life, not teach him abstract law. So the student is, is the one frustrated by why all this chaos. Okay, calm down, it's one claim. It's good to, when they learn now, and it's good for them as future judges. Okay. Then we continue, we ask, okay, but why would you need all these words? Basically, what are they claiming? I listen to the claimants and what I say, okay, okay, I hear all the words. You're claiming what? Hang on, can I just clarify that I got that first point? The first point is when the, when the Gemara asks, why is it, why is it not just, just depicted as one point? Mm -hmm. And then answers, you're right, just depicted as one point. What it's saying is, what it's saying to potential future judges is, sometimes you're going to have a court case where two people come in and they're just yelling at each other and over the top right. of each other. And that's what it's like in real life. Um, when you, you're right though that when you're analyzing things, you should just take the whole thing as one claim. Right. Okay. okay. Comes along a student, and a student says, "Well," or the student would say, "Right, if you help them along." Well, I don't need all that. Fine. So it's one claim, and the one claim really is, "I found it. I found it. Finished." 
right? Like, I don't need, I found it, it's all mine even. It's just, if I really cut down to the chase, each one claims they found it. They found it. In which case, you point out to a student, the problem is that people come into court claiming what? As you said a moment ago. People come into court using the common um, meaning of the word found as I saw it right. on the street. Therefore, you need to make sure that each one actually claimed it's all mine because, not because there's extra words now in the Mishnah, because who can claim it's all theirs? Only whom? Someone who actually acquired it right. via a recognized mechanism. By acquired it, picked it up. I don't right. want acquired recognized mechanisms. Control or possession is, you know, we like to say possession is three-fourths, um, three is that what we say? Three ten nine tenths, whatever it is. I thought it was right? nine tenths. Nine tenths. Is that a right? Talmudic phrase? No, no. <laughs> Possessed is nine tenths, right? Of the law. Or to put it differently, you can look at many mammalian species and so forth. Once you're physically controlling it, people don't want to get in your face because you'll lash out. Until you physically control something, eh, it's not necessarily yours. Now you want, every legal system has its language for expressing that. Fine. Okay. But that's a human or just mammalian phenomenon. Mm -hmm. People think that it belongs to them when? When they see it. Ah, and then you say, so you tell the student, no, no, you have to hear the full, the claim has to be more than I found it. It has to be I found it, and it's all mine. Mine. Comes along the student, right? And the student says, oh, give me a break. Everybody knows that you only acquire something when you find it. As Rav Knight taught, and the original context of Rav Knight is actually finding a lost object and returning it. Okay. One that actually has identifying signs. Am I responsible to return the lost object I see in the street? It's a positive commandment. It's a nice thing to do. It's a positive, you know, action. But I'm not required unless I actually pick it up and then I put it back down the street. And that's really a sin. That's like, I picked it up. I, of course, I have to take care, make sure to return it. So I only acquire something when I pick it up. And the student says, everybody knows that. Because if you ask anybody when they see something on the street and they're too busy to deal with it, they'll just walk by, right? Mm. It's like, no, I didn't pick it up. You know, somebody else will, will handle it. That's just a human response I'm, when people are busy. Right? right. No time. So everybody knows that it's only theirs when they pick it up. That's a great challenge. You don't need to teach it. Everybody coming to court knows you only own something when you pick it up. Okay. And the answer back is, you know what? People actually do know that really, really, you only own something when? When you pick it up. Yeah. If it comes down to that question, only when you pick it up. But when you call, talk about lost objects, which you found for free, who should it go to? Back to this rabbinic language. Biblically, you only acquire something when? When you pick it up. Ah, uh, but morally, when do you acquire something? When, when you, you see it. Dibs. At least it, when you call it dibs, if it's a free object. If you're all arguing about who's going to get the car seat in a, you know, the, the... In a car, like who gets to ride shotgun? Shotgun. Right, who gets shotgun, and you're all going to the same car, dibs, uh, that's fishy. That's why people argue about dibs. But what happened here is there's somebody saw something that nobody else saw yet, and they identified it. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, that's not just a mound. There's actually something under it, a treasure under it. At that point, of course it should go to whom? To the person who saw it first. At least morally, right? Sure. And therefore, we have, the Gemara says that's exactly the point. Make sure you hear the claim as, I found it and it's all mine. Because people might say, I found it even though they did not pick it up. What do you mean? Everybody knows you only acquire something when you pick it up. Yeah, but not when it comes to lost objects that were just found randomly. Because then the one who saw it says, excuse me, nobody else would have picked it up had I not said that it's there. Right? I not identified it. I not started yelling jubilantly. Okay. So in this particular case, they're saying the reason that there's a difference in the case of a lost object is because 
sometimes... Because people view it as morally belonging to the one who sees it. Uh-huh. Even though this isn't actually how the law plays out. Even though, no, even though they recognize it in other areas, it only goes to the person that picked it up. Mm-hmm. But here they'll say, no, the one who found it. And therefore, the, all of it is mine, um, all of it is mine claim is made explicit in order right. to, to make sure that the judge actually grills the person about whether or not they picked right. it up. And the kicker was so we won't be able to show all the points that we raised earlier, or like in this tomorrow, but we won't be able to show all of them. But at this point, but the kicker is that it's important to teach a judge this because when people come as judges in court, they often forget what they learned intellectually. I may know that you only acquire something when you pick it up. When I'm standing in court as a judge, and one of them is emotional and they, you know, they, I found it. And I even think that they, I may even realize that what they mean is they saw it. Mm. But I, even as a judge, may forget that rule about acquisition when you pick it up. Because mm-hmm. I'll be more drawn into the moral story being told here. And so, therefore, the mission had to teach me it, as Gomorrah points out. And therefore, therefore, because you have this mechanism of, first they come in, they say, I found it. Ne- then they say, all of it is mine. And then they're, made, they're, they're compelled to make an oath, even in the case of a judge who sort of is flustered by the sudden barrage of, of screaming litigation, he'll still... Because you taught the judge as a younger student that you need to have the full claim. That's and so. now the judge has internalized that I know there'll be that moral situation. People will be saying they found it because they feel it's theirs. I may even be drawn to that. And I'll, remember, I'll pause and I'll say one second. Morally, I know which guy I like, which one I don't like. But mm-hmm. in the end, just you know, for the sake of conflicts and all that, we decide that it goes to the person that actually picked it up. That's what Gamora does. It's guiding the student to actually internalize all the elements that underlie the law. Wow, that's phrenesis. That's an example of phrenesis even in the Talmud, which does it very slowly, step by step by step, but yes. And all of the Talmud is... is all of the Talmud. I've not seen a single Talmudic passage that cannot be explained this way, including the Jerusalem Talmud. Wow. If, uh, if people want to learn more about this way of uh, doing things, is there anywhere online they can check? Um, if people want to learn more about this way of learning, then I can open up an online course. Um, they can contact me at Elisha A, E-L-I-S-H-A, and then capital A, mm-hmm. at pardes.org.il. Beautiful. Thank you. Sorry, I was going to say thank you, but you're <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for Thank coming you. on the show today. Thank you, Mikey. God bless you all. Daniel Kenny. This is General Ike.